0: Good morning, everyone, and I invite you to open your Bible today and find the book of Philippians, and uh, one of my favorite books in all of the New Testament, and one of the greatest passages found in that great book. And if you'll find the second chapter, and we'll begin reading with verse number one. Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse number one. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, United in spirit and intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude. As that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that today you would speak to us through your word. We're listening. I pray that we would set aside the distractions that want to... Take our focus away from you. And that, Father, that we would turn off those distractions. And in these next moments, may you do business with our heart. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to do business in our lives today. Lord, I pray that you would convict us about sin and we would forsake it. And repent and turn to you. I pray that you would encourage us in our faith. And that we would be strengthened in our walk. I pray that father you would convict us. About being united with brothers and sisters. As a part of the family of God. Carrying out the purposes of God. Of your purposes. Father. Father. I pray that you would convict us about living in holiness and a desire to live rightly before you, honestly, with full integrity. Father, I pray that you would convict us that there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and that sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. O Father, help us to see Jesus as our only hope. In his name we pray. Amen. This book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul from a prison cell in Rome. The church that he's writing to is in Philippi and in Acts chapter 16 we read about the founding of that church where the Philippian jailer and his whole family came to be born again and know Christ, where a slave girl was set free from a demon that possessed her, where women who were gathered to pray found Jesus Christ as their savior and an early church was born. About the loving relationship that Paul had with this church, it's evident in this text of Scripture. He had fond remembrances of them, and he felt as if they were a part of his own family, his own children. And Paul wrote this letter to encourage them. It's one of four prison epistles written about the same time from the Apostle Paul. This book of Philippians, the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, and the little book of Philemon. Timothy and Epaphroditus were with Paul in Rome. And one of the themes that we find in this little letter is the theme of joy. It's used again and again. The word for joy and the words for rejoicing and to rejoice. Sixteen times it's found in this short little letter of four chapters. Also frequent is the theme that you're in the Lord, just like he does in the book of Ephesians. And so we find in the Lord frequently found over eight times in this epistle but he's exhorting them to live with joy in their lives to be thankful to God and to work together in unity and to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ chapter number two verse number one is connected to chapter one And in verse number 27, he's writing just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I'll hear about you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. That's a sign of destruction for them, but for your salvation, and this is from God. It's been granted for you, a gift to you, on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Since you're engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. I, you know that I'm suffering and i struggles, I'm in prison, you know about that. But we were given that gift, but God is with us. And so what he's reminding them is you want to live a life worthy of the gospel, he said, first of all, you need to stand firm in one spirit. He said, don't be wavering. Don't be unstable. Don't be wishy-washy. Have your feet anchored in Jesus Christ, anchored in the word of God, and anchored in the Holy Spirit. Secondly, be of one accord. That means be of one mind. Be united. Don't be divided. A house divided cannot stand. And then fight. Don't fight with each other, but fight for the faith. Contend for the faith. Engage the enemy in battle. The enemy is not one another, friends. There's an enemy in this world. And that enemy is opposed to the gospel. But we are to fight for the gospel. Live the gospel. Preach the gospel. Amen. And don't be afraid. Church squabbles, disunity, hurt the gospel message. We fight. We should be known as fighters, but not fighters with each other. Fighters. Let's fight for unity. Let's fight for love. Let's fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's fight to live a holy life before God. This is what God's called us to. Now in chapter number two, that's just, I haven't got the preaching yet. I'm just setting you up for the message. In chapter number two, he talks about what motivates us to live a life for Jesus. And first of all, the many blessings that have been poured out on our life. Now notice with me in chapter two, verse number one. So if then there is any encouragement, that's kind of the negative way to say it. What he's saying is, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship with the Spirit, since there is real affection and mercy, then make my joy complete. Wow. Let's talk about those blessings that he outlines there in verse number one. First of all, there's encouragement in Christ. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad there's encouragement in Christ? That we are encouraged by him. The word that is used there for encouragement is paraklesis. It is, it is the word that means one who stands beside you. Aren't you glad you're never alone in this life? Those who are believers, Christ stands with you. Christ stands beside you. And he is encouraging you. It is the very word that's used in John 14, John 15, John number 16. About the Holy Spirit who is our comforter, our paraclete. Many times and many different things want to discourage us in this life. But we are encouraged in Christ Jesus. Anybody ever have any disappointments in your life? Anybody have any... Times that you struggle with really believing and trusting God in your life. I do. You ever have some time that you feel defeated? Any times that you ever feel discouraged? Anytime you ever feel like giving up? Everything anytime you ever get in a disagreement with, with, with Chris? disagreement with somebody and then you don't know what to do or how to fix it and you feel discouraged down deep in your soul. Maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you're facing something in your life that you didn't want, but it's coming to your life and you got to deal with it. And you you're tempted to be discouraged. But today, my friends, don't be discouraged. We have an advocate and he stands beside us and it's Jesus Christ. Amen. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will strengthen you, uphold you, hold you by my mighty hand. This is who he is. Mm -hmm. John Rippon was a great pastor in London. He followed John Gill. John Gill was an unbelievable theologian and preacher and pastor. 54 years pastored the same church in London. Ripon followed him, and he pastored the same church for 63 years. So I'm just getting started, folks. (laughs) That one church had two pastors that pastored for 117 years. Ripon famously wrote a hymnal, and he was an expert student of all of John Watt's Psalms and hymns, 718 of them. A world-renowned authority on hymnody and the singing and the worship of God. His hymnal, over 200,000 copies were printed. It was used at New Park Street Church where he pastored for many, many years and Baptist congregations all over the world. Ripon was followed later by Charles Haddon Spurgeon as the pastor of that church. One of the hymns that Ripon wrote goes like this Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Is there any encouragement in Christ? You might say, well, I'm discouraged, Brother Tim, I've sinned. And that sin has me discouraged. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't you remember what John said? If we sin, we have an advocate, a paraclesis, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for your sin. Even if we failed, we have an advocate, one who stands beside us and pleads for us. In the throne room. Before the Father. With his own blood. (laughs) Hallelujah. Is there any encouragement in Christ? No. What else he says? If there's any consolation of love. He comforts us in our sorrows. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? He comforts us in our sorrows. Trials and heartaches. It's a part of this life. Losses. Grief, disease, sorrows, these sorrows he knows. He's acquainted with our griefs, and he will aid you, and he will comfort you. When we were in Bangladesh, Jill and Greg had tried to tell me some about the Rohingya's. these are refugee people without a home. They were in Myanmar, or Burma. And they were extricated, they were pursued, they were violently treated, and they, by the Hindus, and the Buddhists, and these Muslim people moved into Bangladesh. They give them a place in the wooded hill tracks country, but they have no home that's their home. They have no citizenship, they have no rights, and there's a million people living in squalor. They're boarded in and fenced in and not allowed to leave their own camp, and we met with a group of those people who, at their own peril, got out of the camp and met with us in a late afternoon near Cox's Bazaar, near the seacoast, the Indian Ocean. And as we met with them, they shared their heart about the trials and circumstances and the hardships. One of the men, who's a church planter, and another woman who's filled with great power and strength, had gone back into that camp again and again to talk about Jesus Christ and witness and share the gospel and there's a band of Christians in this Muslim camp, in this refugee, where they experience violence and hate. and They have no status, and it's no citizenship. They are despised on every hand and abused at the hands of their own people. The gangs run rampant in that. Over 800,000 people live in this area. They're abused. The women are abused and mistreated. Raped again and again. Gang raped. Taken into Taken into kidnap custody until they surrender all the money that they have. The men live in constant fear, trying to protect their own families. They're stolen from and murdered. And there's no police. There's no advocates. There's no one that cares for their soul. And as we met with them, they shared their burden in their heart. But every one of them are now believers in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God dwells in them. And I wonder, how do you even survive? And they said, we survive because the grace of God sustains us. And we spent praying time praying with them. Jill had encouraged me to share a word of, of encouragement to them from the scripture. And when I looked into their broken eyes, I thought, what can I say, but all I could do was point them to Jesus and that there is a God whose presence will never let them go and he knows what they face. And he will meet their need even if we can. not And they said, we love to pray. Well, we pray together and we prayed in that restaurant. And you could sense the spirit of God right there. If there's any consolation of love, I witnessed the consolation of love. Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? I witnessed in that moment the fellowship of the Spirit. We've all made the drink of one Spirit, and the Spirit of God gives us fellowship. It gives us koinonia. It gives us communion with one another. The Holy Spirit's presence in us, with us. If there's any affection and compassion, Christ's love surrounds us, Christ's spirit is in us, Christ's love is moving in us. There is a love that goes beyond our greatest. Imagination. Amen. It's the love of Christ. Yes, In first John chapter number four. First John chapter number four. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must. We must, we must love one another. Amen. My friends, when you live like Jesus, you're expressing what you have experienced. And when you've experienced the love of God, then you begin to show the love of God. Amen. Amen. Is there any fellowship of the Holy Spirit? On a Friday night was a night of worship in Dhaka. The capital city, 19 million people piled on top of one another. We went to a little area filled with apartments and buildings and businesses, open sewers, the stench as we walked in the alleyways. Street food being cooked mixed with the smell of running sewer and people everywhere into a back alley through these alleyways and crowded little streets and bazaars. And we stepped out of that into the bottom of a, of a, of a building and there gathered at the end of the hallway was the church of Jesus Christ. And the pastor's name was Miranon, his wife's name is E.T. Not like go home, E.T., but E.T. And in a small group of maybe a dozen of us, we heard the gospel preached. We prayed for one another in that room. We broke bread together and had the Lord's communion together. We sang. Songs and hymns with one another. And even though I didn't know the language, I knew the Spirit. At the end of that worship service, my heart filled, invited to the pastor's house in their humble home. And they had fixed a glorious meal for us. There was not enough room at the table. They let the visitors eat and they sat in the other room. They probably fixed all they had to fix for the week in that one meal. And after the meal we sat in there, they wanted to give us some gifts. They wanted to show us hospitality. They got out a little organ and played the little organ with its own billows. They tried to play that little organ. I tried to. I thought, man, I need to get one of these for Andrew. I'm a praise man. We sang hymns to the glory of God. And then they said, said, let's pray together. And the pastor's wife said, I would really love to wash y'all's feet so I could receive a blessing. I was undone. Is there any fellowship? Yes, there is fellowship of the Spirit. I need to move on. Yes, I do. Secondly, notice the exhortation that unites us in this passage. Paul said, if there are these blessings that motivate us to live like Jesus... Then make my joy complete. You want to know how to make your pastor happy right here. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Notice what it says in verse number 2. By thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He said that you be united. That you think the same way, that you have the same love, that you're united in spirit, and you're one in purpose. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you be united with the same understanding, with the same conviction. You know what he's saying is that you be one That you not have cliques, that you don't have rivalries, that you don't have factions, that you don't have allegiances and, and political alliances, that that is not a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And I submit to you, I think one of the things that hurts us as a church today is all of the infighting and all the bickering and all the sectarianism and all of the ways that we find to be divided with one another rather than united in what really is important in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One group says, well, you know, I believe in the 39 articles. And, I, and others say, "Why, well, I believe in the Westminster Confession and only that. And others say, well, we're Baptist faith and message only. And others say, well, I'm a follower of Piper. I'm a follower of MacArthur. I'm a follower of Beth Moore. I'm a follower of C.S. Lewis. I'm a follower of Rick Warren. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. The world's going to hell. Amen. Paul said, I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ died for our sins. Amen. According to the scripture. He was buried. And he rose again the third day. According to the scripture. And the word of the cross. Is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. Folks let's get back to preaching Jesus. And the cross of Christ. We take secondary issues. Tertiary matters. And we elevate them to the top. So we can divide with one another. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 says listen to what Paul said just a few verses in front. He says as citizens of heaven live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Fight for unity. Finally all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil, not insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing. You're called for this that you may inherit a blessing. Amen. Not only be united, but be humble. Be humble. Don't look for your own interest, for your own interests only, but the interest of others. That's why it says in verse number 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three says, A person's pride will humble him, but an humble spirit will give him honor. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says for the high and exalted one who lives forever whose name is holy says this I live in the high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. In Micah chapter 6 verse 9 he has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly To love mercy or faithfulness. And to walk humbly with our God. My friends, God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. We are to humble ourselves. Be people of humility. Humility does not mean weakness. Humility means strength. Jesus was a man of humility. He was a man of great strength. Blessed are the humble because they will inherit the earth. Kent Hughes tells a story about going to Southern Seminary to preach in chapel. And he spent some time in fellowship with Al Moler, who's the president of the seminary. And Hughes is a big fan, as many of us are, of A.T. Robertson, who was many considered one of the greatest Greek scholars who's ever lived on the planet. Understood the Greek language unlike any other. And was, uh, was a towering figure in all of the evangelical world. And taught at Southern Seminary many years ago. A.T. Robertson not only was one of the great Greek scholars who ever lived and a great New Testament scholar but A.T. Robertson was married to John Broadus' daughter. And John Broadus is a towering figure in Baptist life and one of the founders of the southern baptist convention and one of the the founder of southern seminary and so he was talking about these men and brought us by the way brought us his book on preaching and still considered one of the great books on preaching ever been written brought us himself as a towering figure in in new testament studies and greek studies and and preaching unbelievable man great one of the great men that ever lived In the last 200 years. And so. He said if you'd like to. Dr. Mueller said to Kent Hughes. If you'd like to. I'd like to take you to the cemetery. Where you could see where these men were buried. He said I'd love to see that. And so he took him to the cemetery. There in Louisville. And there was a towering monument. To John Broadus. That his family had erected. Sometime after his death. And then, right near that monument in the cemetery, was a small little ground plaque that says, here lies A.T. Robertson. And Moeller said, Robertson said, I want to be buried in the shadow of Broughton. My friends, I want to live my life in the shadow of Jesus Christ. Amen. Finally, look at the example that inspires us. In, chapter number, in verse number five of our text, adopt the same attitude. Here's the prime example for us. He says, accept the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, grasped, clutched, held tightly to. Notice his attitude. He says, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, the same mind, the same mission. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, the mission that he came for was to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor and the disenfranchised and those without hope. He said, "And embrace the very attitude that was in the mind of that was in Christ Jesus. But not only his mind and his attitude and his purpose. But also his service. Notice what he says in verse number 7. Instead he emptied himself. He poured out his life. By assuming the form of a servant. Taking on the likeness of humanity. When he as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Notice his service. He didn't grasp his position. He didn't clutch it. Although Jesus existed before his birth on this earth, the second person of the Godhead, with all authority and power and allegiance and worship, and he was there in the presence of the Father and the Spirit. But Jesus Christ emptied himself, he poured out his life and he took upon the role of a servant. He is our prime example. What Christ did and what Christ uh, Christ is described by Paul in this great hymn is exemplified in what happened in the upper room. Imagine with me Jesus and his disciples. They'd been traveling long journeys from Galilee Into Judea, through Jericho, up the Mount of Olives, into the Holy City, back out to Bethany, debates, conflict. But here it is, the last hours in the Holy City, in a rented upper room of Holy Week. There's infighting among the disciples about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit in his right and his left. There's fear about what Jesus has been trying to tell them that he's going to be leaving them they don't understand it that he's going to die and that he would rise again there's pride that has infiltrated them and as they're in that upper room there's no servant to wash their feet which was customary before you would eat a meal there was no slave to do so in the Hebrew Mishnah it said no Jew even a slave would be forced to wash somebody's feet Yet rising from the supper table is Jesus, the Son of God. And rising from the table, he does something that seems incredulous to them. It seems not right. And he took off his robes. And he laid him aside. And he took up a towel. He girded himself like a servant, humbled himself. And then he took a bowl and he took a towel. He filled it with water. And he knelt at the feet of those disciples. And he began to wash their feet. Amen. He took the position of a slave. With a towel and base in his hand. He kneels at the feet of Matthew. A tax gatherer. That's being saved by grace. He kneels at James and John. The sons of thunder. Brothers. And he washes their feet. And he prays for them. And then it comes to Andrew and to Philip and Judas, who had already bargained to betray him. And he washes their dirty feet. He comes to Simon. And Simon, also known as Peter, objects. He said, Lord, you'll not wash my feet. He said, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. He said, well, give me an all-over bath then. He said, no. You don't need an all-over bath, but your feet are dirty, and I'm going to wash your feet. Then he asked later, do you know what I've done? Jesus was repeating what he had already done in eternity past. Because in eternity past, he had laid aside, had determined to lay aside the robes of glory. And he took upon human flesh and he dwelt among us like a servant and he took the lowliest of physicians and he took a towel and a bowl and he knelt at our dirty feet and he washed us clean by the blood of his own life. And he dies like a criminal on a cross to wash away our sins. And while they're crucifying, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And from the cross, he cries out, "It!" Is finished. Hallelujah. And he paid for our sins in full. He bore your sins and mine on the cross yes, because God was demonstrating his own love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ, our Savior, the Son of God, died for us. Thank you, Lord. Notice his trust of God. He didn't defend himself on the cross. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. They screamed, crucify him, crucify him. They mocked him. He saved others, let him save himself. They ridiculed him as a king. They ridiculed him as a prophet. And they crucified him like a criminal. But he uttered no threats. He did not hate in return. But he prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And he kept entrusting himself to God. And he loved us. And when he died, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted God to the very end. And he cried out, it's finished. And he breathed his last. Can you trust God? Can you trust God to take care of you? Or do you need to fight for your own position? Grasping, clutching, vying, elbowing for your rights. Your affirmation. Christ gave us the example of love. Back to the upper room when he had finished and the feet were all clean, he folded up his towel. Emptied the bowl. And he put back on his robes. And sat down. Therefore. God hath highly exalted him. And given him a name. That's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Woo! Well, there's a sermon in there. Amen. My friends, the Bible says we're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we'll be like him. Because we'll see him as he is. My friends, when you serve in this broken world and love people. And trust God to take care of you. He will lift you up. Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. It is so powerful. It's so true. It's so liberating. Father, as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper together today, we're remembering all that Jesus did for us. How he died And spent his life, shed his blood, and died our death so that we might have everlasting life. Father, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we confess our faith and trust in Jesus alone as our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.